1: the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: You're listening to the IFL TV podcast in association with Lonsdale MTK Global, sponsored by William Hill. This is Coogan Cassius for IFL TV in association with MTK Global. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Mr. Ray Winston. How are you, my friend? I'm all right, thank you, Coogan. How are you doing? I'm all right. Do you remember our first interview at your call eight years ago? No, I can't remember yesterday. Let alone
1: eight years ago. I think it would have been the same night I met Fury. I think he was there as well. And I think the Sky
0: Boys were there, weren't we, with Johnny Nelson and uh, Spencer Oliver, if it's the same night. I'll tell you when it was. It was just before Froch Groves won, because I watched the interview back last night, and um, yeah. we were talking about the first Froch Groves fight. Yeah. Um, so it was around that time. 2013, it would have been. Oh, my think. God. Right. Time flies. He was, he was a, a fight I loved him, Froch. Loved, loved watching him.
1: He looked like he was going to get caught any minute. I had a... There was a good fighter at my club, great fighter at my club. There was uh, Davey Odwell uh, at the Repton. And uh, he always looked like he was going to get caught in the chin, but he always just managed to keep, keep away and come back with a counter. And I, I love Frotch for that, because he, he always looked like he was going to get caught. He looked a bit square on. But what a fighter, you know? One of my favourites, actually.
0: Yeah, one of the best British fighters to come out over the last however many years. So Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I know... Obviously, judging from your Instagram, and you are quite new to Instagram. Uh, it yeah, was to see you on it actually a few months ago when you joined, and yeah. uh, you're getting to grips with it obviously now. But you've spent a lot of time out in out in Sicily. Yeah,
1: well, I I went there in March. I came back from uh, Los Angeles, finishing a, a job there in February, got home to England, and then it's a good time of year to go out to Sicily. And I had some uh, maintenance to do out there. So I got out there, we were in three days, we were on lockdown. We got locked down. So, And I've got to tell you, if you're going to get locked down anywhere, you want to get locked down there. Because at least you can move about a bit. It's much easier for them out there, in a way. I'm not talking about the disease now. If you've got a virus or anything like that going about, there's one road in, one road out. You know, so you close it down. Which they've done very, very, very well. You know, uh, the town that's closest to me never got any COVID at all. So, you know, it, really, so I was there really for nine months, came over Christmas, you know, all the family had come out in the summer, but we came over Christmas to be with the rest of the family. And uh, I caught COVID. <laughs> I got, I, so I was over Christmas, me, my wife, uh, Jamie and James, we all had the COVID. Now, with the other kids in the house as well, we had to all isolate. So, there was no Christmas dinner together and all that sort of stuff. But thankfully, it was a mild case. And uh, we got over it pretty quick. So, you know, we were lucky.
0: It's good to hear that. Obviously, listen, the, the whole world's in this pandemic situation. Yeah. And we kind of pray that everyone, including yourself, who, who has it, can recover yeah. from it. It's not the same for everyone. We know it ain't. But no. um, thankfully, you are all all right. Yeah,
1: uh, up to now. Yeah, we've been fine. Okay. Right, this phone keeps moving up and down. Is it? It yeah, look. I'm balancing it on a packet of fags. <laughs> it's, up
0: against, it's up against the computer because the computer's are kibbutt. So um, how's that? is that a little bit better? Yeah, that, that's stable at the minute. That's stable oh, at the minute. Yeah, and I just thought right. I'd address it now rather than... Well, I'm getting excited as well, so I'll keep pushing the table. It's <laughs> rocking. <laughs> so over the last few months, right, obviously it's good, good to hear that you're kind of you you're through that and, and touch wood, you're, you're over that now. Uh, yeah. What else have you been up to during that period?
1: Nothing. I, d- I actually started writing when I was out in Sicily because I was on my own for the first three months up on a mountain and I, I was working on the land. And I-, I broke my back last year, so working on the land strength the back a little bit and I, was- I started motivating myself a little bit, you know? And then I came and sat down and I, and I started writing a little script about, about the Repton, really. It was based on the Repton. But today and about society around it and how the East End's changed. Um, I like it. Um, whether anyone else will or not, I don't know. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I've never written anything before in my life, so I sat down and done that uh, passed the time a little bit. Um, other than that, it's kind of like groundhog, old It's Since I got back to England and there's that kind of lack of freedom, you're kind of banged up. It's like doing a bit of porridge, you know? I'm kind of, I'm in the house, I'm trying to find things to do. And um, it's like Groundhog Day, you know. I sit on the set here at night, I watch um, Midsummer Murders, you know, <laughs> Tipping Point and all that. And it gets to 10 o'clock at night and then um, Vera will come on or something. I'm, I'm so old, it's unbelievable. And then I'll go to bed and I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I've kind of got the same routine again, you know. So I'm trying to find things to break the routine. You know, to do something different. The highlight of my week is going to the farm shop and doing a bit of shopping. You know, that, that's about it at the moment, you know. I think that's the highlight of everyone's week at the minute, to go yeah, and get their shop. Yeah. And I, I, last week, I realised that since Christmas, I've been drinking half a bottle of Jameson's a night. You know, watching the telly, watching the football or whatever, you know. And it was going down so nicely. And I, I got to last Wednesday and I thought, what am I doing? You know, it's just like for the last three or four weeks I've just been constantly on it. So I knocked that on the egg and I ain't had a drink since last Wednesday, which is very good for me. So um I, and this week is the detox, so you get headaches and all that kind of stuff. So I'm through that now. No headaches today. So I'm all right. All right. You look well anyway, right? You look- I feel I feel mint, you know, I just I feel so good I wanna go out down the pub or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, all right, Ray. So, yeah, I thought today we'd take this opportunity to kind of um, obviously, people want to hear a little bit about film. We'll talk a little bit about boxing. Obviously, you've, yeah. your life has been kind of involved with, with boxing and the reptile, which people know we'll come on to in a little bit. But yeah. what I did want to talk a little bit about film with you is criminal not to. But what I wanted to do was so I've gone through and picked out my five top. Ray Winston films, right? In yes, regard- so, if I go at number five, and I just want you to talk to me a little bit about your memories about that film, if you will. Are you okay? Yeah,
1: sure.
0: yeah, Right. So, at number five, I'm going with Final Cut. Oh, right, yeah. I love Final Cut. And not yeah, everyone's yeah. seen Final Cut, but I like yeah. Final Cut. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about that? It was, what, nearly 22 or 23 years ago now, that film? Well, yeah, it was... Uh, it was with a load of mates, you know,
1: and we had no script. And so you kind of write it on the move. As you go along, you make it up. Someone says say something, you bounce off of them, you know, so it's all improvised, the film. But you've got a storyline, you know, that you've got to get to. So everyone's kind of character, whether it's uh, me, whether it's Jude Law, whoever, you know, whoever's in the scene, a little bit of them comes across within the film, you know. Um, and then once we'd done that film, I mean, we had fun doing it. It was, To be honest with you, it weren't like going to work every day. It was going to work and having a giggle, you know. And um, Ray Burdison uh, uh, had already kind of directed a film, like, a series like it, about the police on TV, you know, which was a comedy with Perry Benson and all the boys. So it was kind of the same crew. And then we took that one. Once we'd done Final Cut, we went on and... Um, and another gun. We had done love on on a bay, you know, which was um, karaoke singing gangsters, you know. So, you know, it kind of it it kind of went from there. And it, it, it just good fun to turn up with people that you like and admire every day, you know, going to work with them, and uh, much funnier than I could ever be, you know. A lot of them, you know. I mean, Perry Benson is kind of like a comedy genius in the end of the day, you know. So, it was good, and you learn something along the way.
0: No, absolutely. And obviously we'll come on to Love, on and obey. in yeah. a bit. When you did that film, the whole calling people in the film by their actual first name, is that obviously yeah. where that started as well? Because that's similar. That was, quite, that, that, was, that was kind of weird in a way. Because you, you kind of get trapped
1: in that moment of actually talking to your mate, you know? And they're not necessarily your mate in the scene. So, And if someone's calling you Ray when you're at work, it kind of throws you a little bit, you know? So we had to get over that.
0: Why didn't Perry Benson have Perry as a, a name in Final Cut or in Love On an Abate? He, he refused to, the little bastard. <laughs> he, he wouldn't have it.
1: He wouldn't have it. For the simple reason what I've just been talking about. Yeah. He wouldn't stand for it, pal. You know. Well,
0: Fat Alan, obviously, again, will come on to Love On an Abate. Fat <laughs> Alan's a, a, an iconic character over over Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, moving on from that, I'd go, number four, I'd go uh, classic film that you was obviously uh, involved with, directed by Gary Oldman uh, and, and yeah. co starring with yourself, Kathy Burke, Neil by yeah. Mouth, which yeah. is a great film and a right kind of intense, like gritty film, was not it? Yeah, um,
1: probably really put me back on the map that, you know, in a way. Not that I'd probably ever been on the map before, but the, he's... Um, you know, the writing. There's certain jobs you work on um, where the writing's so good that you ain't really got to do too much, you know? Um, that's one. Sexy Beast is probably another one. Um, when, when, you, when you sit down and you, you kind of know what they're talking about, I mean, to be honest with you, that's not my life, you know? It was more Gary's life, you know? That's where he came from. He came from the, the Bonamy estate in South London. You know, and he'd grown up around booze all his life and drugs and and, and seen family members go through that, you know. And so the writing was, when I first read that, uh, he gave me outside the Royal Court in uh, Strong Square. Hmm. He came out, I was rehearsing there, and he met me outside. He hello, Raymond. You know, have a look at that. So and I read that, and right away, it was quite, it was um quite flattering that someone as good as Gary Oldman considered you to play the lead in his film, you know. Um, so it was quite daunting in a way that you could do it justice, you know. But once you started reading it and then we got Jamie Foreman involved, because Jamie, were, I knew Jamie very, very well. And I just felt that it needed someone that, you know, knew what I was thinking and that I knew he was thinking that we could bounce off of one another. So good, you know. But with that dialogue, you know, and you had little Charlie Green Miles, who was fantastic in it, And obviously the beautiful Kathy Burke. So, you know, we kind of, we didn't make the film to be a commercial success. We just, they're the kind of films that I love, The Neil By Males, because they're, they've got a social, a social point to make, you know, about how people treat people, how about how human beings treat human beings, you know, and, and the way that some people live, and the addiction of life, you know? What you everyone's got an addiction of some sort, I guess, you know? It's it's quite an heartbreaking film. In a way, it's a kind of love story. I guess, you know, and our our women think, and our men think that
0: everyone lives
1: like that. You know, mm.
0: certainly was. Um, yeah. Move, moving on from there, um, I'm going to go. Obviously, one of your classic films, Scum. Oh. which uh, I mean, talk to me about when this first came out because it caused a lot of controversy at, yeah, at yeah. the time, and I think over time, obviously, more people have seen it, but it wasn't readily available for people to watch when it was first made, I believe. No,
1: it was made by the BBC, originally. Same director, you know, more or less the same cast. Uh, but The difference was we were two years younger, you know, in the original one that got banned by the BBC. I think they'd had a film out at the time, uh, uh, a play for the day called Law and Order, and that was kind of... Um, that was banned as well i think because you know the bbc was i I think the bbc was an establishment kind of like the like the government it was run by government kind of thing and it films like scum and law and order were were really having a go at the government so i think it was put on put on hold mary whitehouse i don't know if you remember her from years ago mary she was an advocate about banning things on telly and you know uh, the way we live our lives and everything's lovely and jolly and uh and she had a scream up in Parliament and the film, the BBC film was banned. So I got a call a couple of years later and asking me if I'd like to do it again as a feature film. Don Boyd was producing it. And uh I thought about it for a little while, because I wasn't acting at the time. I'd I'd stopped acting, I'd retired from the business and I was just ducking and diving. And um I thought, well, why not? You know, this, these chances don't come along that often. And uh and I said yes went along and uh, we made the movie. And in a way, the, the BBC version for me is, uh, is more powerful because, because we're younger kids. You know, from the age of, I think I made it when I was 17. you got to remember when, when I was 17, I'm not like the kids today, they're six foot. We looked like we were 12. You know, we looked like we were kids. And uh, I think that the brutality towards these kids and what the kids' brutality towards one another was kind of more, um, it seemed to be more violent, and it seemed to be more horrible, you know. Um, by the time we got to 21, 2021, we'd become men, and it, it didn't give it, for me, the same kind of, I don't know, um, the same sort
0: of horror, in a way, you know. From all your films you've done over your career, it seems to be the most quoted one is Scum, isn't it? There's yeah. some classic lines in that, that... You know, when I, I kind of will come on to that later on, but I let people on Twitter know um, that um, I was doing an interview with you and like, literally every quote that was coming in, you know, it's the, the, the quotes from that film, Who's Your Daddy? and all those ones yeah. uh, from there. You, you probably get that more so than any other film you've done, I'm assuming. Over the years,
1: yeah, I would say, that's yeah, that's bang on. You know, where's your tool and all that, you know, who's the daddy now? <laughs> uh, you know... It's it, it is, but it's it's kind of died down. Over, you, you know, you got younger kids coming through who've seen the film, I guess. But you know, they got their um. There's new actors, there's new young actors coming through that have their own kind of thing, and I'm just like the old geezer walking down the road now, you know, <laughs> which is fine.
0: <laughs> of course, um, right. So I will go number two. I'm going to put Sexy Beast. Uh, yeah, film. Film, obviously with the the great. Uh, ben Kingsley, which must be to work side, alongside Ben Kingsley. Oh,
1: it was, it, it was, it, you know, I mean, this man had played Gandhi, you know, and then he comes in and plays Don. And I thought, how am I going to be frightened of Don? You know, Gandhi, I've got, I've got to be based up by Gandhi. <laughs> this ain't going to work. And well, it just shows you what uh, what an actor he is, you know. Uh, and do, do you know what? we? I thought we were going to be two total different characters as people, you know, uh, but it was an absolute pleasure to, to work with him because, you know, the the ethics of work were the same, and, and he was a very down to earth kind of guy. And I, I actually loved Ben, you know. And um, for me, it was it was an absolute joy. You know, you learn something from these people as well. I mean, he's been doing it a long time. I have now, but at the time, I hadn't been doing the work that Ben had been doing. You know, and, and with the people we had been doing so. For me, it was an absolute, absolute joy, and he made me feel it was an absolute joy for him as well, which makes it quite a special man in a way, you know, because he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make me feel like I was giving something to him, or you know, he was learning something from me. But he did, you know, and uh, and
0: and I'll be forever grateful for that for
1: him, from him, you know.
0: Well, we've never seen. I'm not going to say the word. We know what word that was overly used. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh but we've never seen uh, the excessive amount of that word, which kind of, it, it, it all fitted, didn't it?
1: Do you, do you know, it's like anything. I remember Alan Clark making a film years ago called Elephant, and it was about, uh, it was about guys being topped. You know, a fellow walk down the street and he get one in the back of the head. Another one walked walk down the road and get stabbed. And it was, this film just went on and on and on about people getting topped, right? And by the fifth one, you're bored. It's like the newspaper report on the front page that ends up on page five, you know? And by the time you've you've heard the word, see you next Tuesday, right, Uh, again and again and again, it becomes part of the language. And we found when we was making the film that if you change one word, it's it's very unusual. When you do a film, you, you kind of make it yours, you know? Very rarely do you get a script that's written beautifully, you know, sometimes you have to mess it around a little bit, you know? And um, with Sexy Beast, and with Neil by Mouth, I have to say, although we played with that a bit, but with, with Sexy Beast, we found that we, we we changed the word there. It lost the rhythm. You know, there was a rhythm in the film and, and in the writing, and there was a beauty to it, you know? Um, that is the ultimate love story. There's a love story in there between uh, Dirty D, my wife and me, uh, Don and Dirty D and me and Don, it's like a a barb a beau, uh, a bouquet barb wire, you know. It's this kind of like a niggling love story going on, you know. But the dialogue is probably the best best dialogue that I've ever worked with, anyway, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, that was absolutely brilliant. Again, there's so many iconic uh, quotes from that film as well. But uh, yeah, it was. It was, just seemed to be a lot of really good combination between yourself and, and, and Ben Kingsley that just seemed to fit for that film very well. Oh,
1: I love lovely. Well, thank you. That's great. It's great to hear. Lovely. Ray,
0: right, could you just make another little adjustment to your phone? I don't know. It just it started to move a little bit there. But I oh, because
1: think... I'm not in the tower tub- I'm getting excited, you see. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, right, so my number one, again, people's views on this might be subjective, but my yeah, favourite okay. film you ever made was, as you mentioned earlier... Love, honour, and obey. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was the well, one of the, if not the best, selection of a British cast in yeah. in one film there there has been in however many years. I mean, and every character was brilliant in what in the roles they played in their in their own way. Uh, that <laughs> must have been great. That must have been great to film that. Absolutely, you know, because we'd had the we'd had the run before
1: with Final Cut. So we kind of knew what was expected you know although it was a different subject matter and all that um, and, the, and the guys we worked with i mean you had jude come back and do it you know jude was cracking right on he was early in his career but um you know he came back and had a go with it because it was such an enjoyable job to work on you know and we had yeah kathy kathy burke um, myself little perry you know when he gets stabbed and that and he's looking he can't get a signal. Score, stab me, stab me, and so Johnny. Yeah, Lee. and the, and the thing Lee was, was right. you know, we were just shouting and London "Gangsters!" And in a way, it's sending it all up because we all want to be somebody. Everybody wants to be somebody, you know. And what these guys like to do is they like to sing karaoke, you know. And that was the kind of a that's where we knew we were we were kind of on a little bit of a winner here yeah? because it's 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 a hell of a lot of people love that film, you know. I do know. I have, I haven't seen it for about five or six years, but I should probably have another little look at it tonight just for
0: a laugh. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, and again, you adapted that um, the method of using the, the first name characters, yeah, or own first names uh, in that, and again. Uh, Fat Alan. Now we know why Fat Alan wasn't <laughs> called Perry. <but laughs> yeah. it would have been strange otherwise. But yeah, really good performance then. And Johnny Lee Miller as well in that was. was yeah, John, great. little John. Yeah,
1: who's off in the states now? He's doing his stuff as well. You know.
0: But you know when obviously we talk about all them kind of films. But what one? What one of not necessarily those ones? We know you was in obviously yeah big films like The Departed etc. And and Quadrophilia yeah. was a, a classic film uh, as well that you was in. Yeah. What, what film gave you the most satisfaction to have been in?
1: Oh, it's, it, you know, I mean, Sexy Beast was a was hell of a film to be in. I, I loved every moment of it. And Neil by Mouth was a tough film to make in a lot of ways, you know, because of the subject matter. Uh, a film called War Zone i have done with um, with uh, Tim Roth, who directed it. Um, it's about paedophilia, you know, and I'm playing a paedophile. So, for me, that was that was a very difficult film to make. But when you look back at them, at a the time when you when you're making them, it's hard work, and you think, what? The, why am I doing this? Why am I making a film like this? You know, and you start to question yourself in a way. Uh, but when you look back, you, you I'm, I'm very proud of them films because, you know, there's stories that need to be told. You know, we 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 need to be aware of. They're not Saturday night with a pizza, sitting indoors with the family watching a film, but there's a place for them, you know? And, and I find that, that there's a lack of that, them sort of films being made at the moment, you know, um, not just because of the COVID thing, but because we've moved in a different direction. Now it's a lot of films about the superheroes and, and all that. And every now and then we get a good drama come out, you know, but uh, for me, uh, there's another film called um, The Proposition that I made in Australia, which, um, with John Hillcoat who done, uh, who'd done The Road. Uh, Emily Watson and um, and um, a, a really good cast. John Hurt again. I worked with John Hurt a few times, you know. And uh, that's a, it's a it's a tremendous film, great film. Uh, another film was um, that I made that didn't really get around, and it's it's I'm, I worked with a lot of mates. I went to New Zealand and done a film called uh, Tracker, and uh, I played South African war after the you know after the war in uh, in South Africa who's making his way to Australia and uh, and ends up working with the British to track down a, a, a one of the locals, one of the Maori's. And it's really a two-hander film. You know, there's a couple of people in it, but it's a two-hander film about tracking this Maori across New Zealand. And I loved every minute of that. You know, that was that was in God's own country. You know, it's it, it's a stunning, stunning country. You know, but also with the people I was working with, I loved turning up to work every day, you know, that, that, that was, and there's, there's many more, there's films I've done that I've, you know, you go, oh my God, really? <laughs> you, you, you know, I should be, I should be locked up for impersonating an actor, you know, it's it, you just get it wrong sometimes. And, uh, and you, you think the film's going to be, oh so, you do the film for the wrong reason. Sometimes you you go to work like we all do to pay the tax man. Oh, you know, you've you got to feed, feed the family, you know, pay the bills. So, you know, that's not always the right decision to make,
0: but it is the right decision because you've got to survive, you know. It must be pleasing for you that you've got so many films in your show reel, however you want to put it, that stood to yeah. test the time, that kids nowadays, I'm not saying kids, but I'm saying people of a yeah. certain age, even though films like Sexy Beast and Lover on the Bay were made yeah. 20-odd years ago, that... A people of a certain generation would would still watch them films today. Yeah, I, I, I guess
1: so. Um, yeah, I think I, I think so. Um, at, at the moment, it's you know every now and then I find a, a film on the telly. You, you, but you got to understand, I'm, I'm I'm getting old. I like getting old. I'm not moaning about it, you know. And I, I'm I'm a bit of a romantic I suppose. I, I turn on the telly and uh, I still watch John Wayne movies. You know, I, I, if it's a John Wayne film or a brand new superhero movie I'd rather watch a John Wayne film you know uh, like Red River or something you know or The Searches I must have watched The Searches a hundred million times Zulu I watch all the time you know Great Escape and then all of a sudden I get caught up in that and uh, and then maybe I'll see a film that I, I can't remember the last time I saw a new film that I, that I really like but that's probably something to do with my age more than anything else you know
0: Ray right, just to round off like a film tour, I just want to ask you how difficult is it to make that transition from being a well known British actor over to, to the States? Because oh, not that's... many people do it.
1: No, it's, uh, I, I, I think a lot of problem is uh, a, a lot of young, young actors go out to America before they've got uh, a nucleus of work, you know, to go with. Um, I, I didn't go looking for work, I was invited. And it's and it's kind of a different thing, you know. Um I went to I, I went over there and I done departed. Uh I met Marty in uh, in a hotel in uh, in London one Sunday one Sunday morning and uh and we had a good chat and I and you know, and I went and done a departed, uh, which for me was like playing either boxing in Madison Square Gardens so or playing football at Wembley, you know, it's like your World Cup in a way. Uh, and I didn't have a massive part. In fact, my part was, uh, there was no talking in my part. I was just there. But as the film went on, you know, I, I messed around with it and and, and with Marty. And uh, I ended up as Mr. French, you know. Because cause to me, Mr. you had uh, Costello, which was uh, Jack's character. But you don't get to find out about him unless he's got a mate, you know. And Whitey Bolger had a mate, you know. He was an absolute animal, you know, his mate, who's a killer. So, and, and, and I was talking to Marty about that. And then, really, that's how you find out about Costello, you know, Jack's character, through his mate, yeah. you know, who's an animal, you know, just kill anyone, you know. So, and that worked out fine. And then, because uh, I'd done Henry VIII, um, the director's wife saw me as Henry VIII, and they were doing Beowulf. So it was all down to uh, his wife that I actually managed to get the lead as Beowulf, you know, and uh, and it, uh, kind of luck. I was very lucky, you know. Um, there's uh, there's some there's some great actors out there, you know, who could could have played Beowulf and, you know, but this little kid from Plasto got it. So unlucky. <laughs> so, but um, but I, I have to be honest with you. I enjoy. I really enjoy working in America. Um, but it's no different from working here. You know, the crews are the same. The artistic thing is the same. You know, they turn up, they want to make a great film. It's the same temperament, you know. Uh, I couldn't live there. I've been asked to live there. If I stayed there, I'd work more there, but it's like living above the shop, you know. Not for me. And your kids are growing up there. No, 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 no. No. No, no, I, you know, I come from here. This is where I'm from and, uh, and, this is my home. I love going to work there. I love coming home. Perfect. But I couldn't listen to that all day long. I just couldn't have it all day long. It would me insane, you know. Oh, my God. You know, really? You know, someone's smiling at you, and then you ain't got a job, and they don't smile at you. You know, well, you know I
0: want to swear, but I'm not going to. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Ray, right, a lot of people ask me about how you developed your accent in The Departed. Well, I don't know whether I got it right or not I had a go um Boston
1: really um I, I don't know it's just being around people I guess we were filming in that we filmed it in New York and in Boston uh, my driver was from Boston and I didn't have great long speeches in the film which was a help and you got to just remember the boy and the choir, you know and if you if you can get your tongue around that you got half a chance but I kind of thought, well, they're, they're the Irish firm anyway, so you can have a little bit of that or not. So I just messed it up a little bit. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a melting pot, of America. America's full of all different kind. When they say mid-Atlantic, do a mid-Atlantic accent, I think, well, you sound like a fish. Because the Atlantic, you'd be under the sea. What is a mid-Atlantic accent? I, got an idea, I had no idea, you know. So accents are not my strong point. You know, I speak north, south, east, west, London, and that's it. And every now and then, I'll have a go at something, and uh, if the park requires it, and uh, we see if we can get away with it. You
0: know, why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move to to your beloved sport of boxing. We know what a, a huge boxing fan you are, and um, well, there's only one place to start with. this, really the fight that we want to see this year that we yeah. see in this year, is between Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. So I'm sure you'll echo those thoughts, Ray. Well, I've got to tell you, when I, when I saw um,
1: our man, Mr. Fury, in his last fight, I thought, well, this man is tremendous. I mean, he's fantastic. Boxed brilliantly, clever, smooth. And then I saw AJ lose his title and I went, he's, you're too muscle-bound, kid. You're trying to fight. He's got to go back to basics. And in his next, when he went and retained the title and the way he boxed, smart, clever. He went back to his basics. He boxed beautifully, you know. And people are saying, oh, yeah, but the guy wasn't that great. Well, the guy was a world champion, I'm afraid. He beat AJ. He was a world champion. It doesn't matter what he looks like. The kid's a fighter. He's a good fighter. But he's a world champion. You know, and AJ went in and done a beautiful job. Before that fight, I gave AJ no chance. No chance whatsoever. Now, because they can both dig, and AJ can dig, it's, it's going to be interesting because they're both boxers. And it could be messy. That it could be a messy fight. But as long as AJ don't get carried away, he's got a chance. I think, personally, Fury's just that little bit in front. I think he's clever. Is streetwise, street-wise, bish-bash-bosh. But I've got to give AJ a chance. I think you can't call it. I don't think you can call the fight, personally. I think it's, it'd be a messy fight, I
0: think. Well, look, we know, obviously, we get updates from Mr. Eddie Young and and all yeah. the relevant parties weekly now, and there's always a little bit that edges the fight nearer, shall we say. But yeah. the fight doesn't look likely to take place in the UK because... Of the situation we're in with the pandemic, there would be no crowd if, if the fight was to take place here in the next few months anyway. Uh, so well, right. it looks like that it probably will go abroad, possibly to the Middle East, somewhere in Asia. We don't know yet. So, which is, it's a gutter for everyone really here because that fight really belongs in the UK, doesn't it?
1: Well, it does, but uh, New Zealand, they ain't got none there. Go it, in New Zealand. They've never had a big fight like that.
0: Well, I don't know if New Zealand's been mentioned, but I'm sure... Uh, no, of course it hasn't. I've just thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think wherever it takes place, I think the main thing is that we hope it happens, first of all, because... Absolutely. You need to see that fight, but I think people have conceded and, and know that the, at least the first fight won't take place in the UK. So, wherever right. it will be, it will be. So. Yeah.
1: It could, they could have it in Eddie's garden again.
0: They could do, yes. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's 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 the, the the biggest fight in probably British boxing history ever, and yeah, one of the biggest that the world will ever see. Where two Brits have got all the belts, and uh, we need to find out who's who's number one. We we do,
1: and I think that goes for a lot of the weights as well. I I, I was talking to uh, Spencer Oliver a little while ago, and and Carl Froch. About the same thing, and uh, Tony Bellew was talking about it as well. Um, you know, I understand it's, it's great for, for the boxers, you know, to have a world title and that, but there's so many world titles. What are there, three or four world titles now?
0: Well, there's four uh, recognized ones, and then there's yeah, the you
1: know, well. who is number one? Who is the governor? You know, I mean, if you've got a world title and another fighter's got a world title in the same, same weight division. You, uh, you can't call yourself a world ch- champion until you've done the other geyser, can you? Really. So, it's just like a semi-final up to that point. You know, you need you need to have one champion in each weight group, I think, you know. It gets very confusing.
0: It does. And on, on top of what you're saying now, you've got four recognised governing bodies with these world titles. You've got the WBO, IBF, WBC and WBA. And yeah. then outside that, they've got champion in recess they've got regular champion they've got silver champion and so it ends up being about eight different champions yeah right finished. yeah there should be one but we'll take four but yeah yeah you know it's, it's crazy a... it's crazy it is but you you don't know really how to call that fight Ray you may edge towards Fury if you had to or no if if I if, you know for me Fury's just in front
1: just in front you know it depends what's going on up here, and he's, he seems to have sort himself out. He's very confident, very. He looks all right, but AJ's looking very focused as well. So, and, and I think from that winning his title back, I think that's given him, you know, he knows how he has to box now. He can't go in with his chin up. He can't. You can't go in with your chin up, throwing punches. You got you gotta earn that. The left hand earns that. Bing, 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 bing. When you put them under, then, white wallet, away you go. Because you can punch, you know, mm. and anyone can punch has got a chance. I think Fury's just in
0: front, but it's a close fight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some of the other fighters that you've enjoyed watching over the last sort of, say, five years or so, Ray? Any, any spring to mind aside from, obviously, them two heavyweights we're talking about? I, I, there we are, but I can't remember their names. That's the trouble. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: I mean, for me, the fairy story was Tony Bellew, was was absolute. Because you know, look look at Tony when he was boxing. You thought he's a good fighter, but he's he's no world champion. And he dug deep. He dug deep. You know, he had plenty of art. And then once he won the world title, he improved. He improved. He improved. That confidence that came with winning a world title. You know, uh, uh, a very special. I like watching uh, young Mitchell out of West Ham, you know, class mover, you know, ducking and diving That uh, They're my kind of fighter to watch, you know, I love that. Like the little Mexicans years ago, you know, I remember going to see Charlie Magri, uh, box, uh, you know, for the world title. Uh, I love Charlie, you know, uh, and when I was, when I was younger, I was back, It must've been in the early, no, the late seventies. I was in Los Angeles and, uh, I wanted to go and see the see the Mexicans fight down in um, the Olympia Stadium, I think it was yeah. down in uh, on on the uh, South Central, down that way, I think it was. And that, all the all the film people said, "You can't go down there," you know. You just, it's no I said, "Oh, okay, I go then. And I did. Anyway, you know, fuck that. And uh, anyway, I got a cab down there, and the cab wouldn't wait. He went. He will not sticking around around there. And I just had an old coat on, and I went in the fights. And I watched these Mexicans. Well, every one of them could have been a world champion. I've got to tell you, but they don't, you know, they've got no one looking after them or whatever, and they're never going to proceed. But I mean, just standing there face to face, ducking, beep, beep, beep. And it was like an art, art form, you know, watching it fight. And I just, I fell in love with boxing again. You know, it, it was class. Years ago, I used to like watching Pat Cadell and, uh, uh, Ken Buchanan and fighters like that. I, I love to see the skill. And we got, there's a few of them boys around today, yeah. you know, like the arts come back. To me, it was always, if they can't eat you and you hit them once, you've won the fight. <laughs> you know, and I, I do love watching the tear-up now and then, but I remember seeing uh, Tony Simpson as middleweights years ago, you know, and he loved the tear-up, Tony, you know, and for me, that I like the skill side of it. It's an art boxing, you know. It's like someone having a dance, you know, but they're throwing punches and, uh, and and that, that excites me, just watching that skill, you know. Yeah. Uh, I guess that comes from being at the Repton. At the Repton, that's what they used to they used to teach, they let always be the jab, you know, and you make a miss. You, as long as you're moving
0: your head and trying to get underneath, it's lovely. Mm. What well, this is a bit of a random one, Ray, but what what do you know about YouTube boxing? These YouTubers that are turning into
1: professionals. Oh, I, oh, I oh, yeah, I can't really. You mean that, they call it the white-collar boxing, is that right? Well, I
0: hate white-collar because they're actually turning professional, some of them, and actually... They are. White. Yeah. I watched it in the early days, some of it, and I had to turn it off. I just thought, I can't have this.
1: But um, I, it might have got better. You know, it might have got better. I just, you know, it's a tear-up on a Friday, isn't it? You might as well just go down the pub, have a drink, and have a tear-up.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, some might. Say that's true. But you've got guys like Mike Tyson and, and Roy Jones who come back and had that exhibition fight. But yep. are you a fan of that? Ray? if guys like that at that age coming back, legends and, and doing an exhibition.
1: Yeah, I, I called it. I called it a draw. Before, before, I knew, you knew it was going to be a draw. But, but at the same time, you know, the two great fighters. Um, it's a shame they got to come back. Do they come back because they need a few quid? Is that the reason? What, what, or is it because they're love of the sport and they miss it? They miss that getting in the ring. I don't know. Depends what what they've done it
0: for. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But it just seems like, like I said, these YouTube boxing and these exhibition style fights are coming more and more kind of involved in sport. Some people are right against it. Other people say it's bringing more attention to the sport, which is a good thing, but. Listen, if people don't want to watch it, don't watch it. Well,
1: maybe Mike thought he had something to prove, you know, come back and have one last go, you know, because more or less the way his career finished, you know, he probably just felt he, he wanted to put the gloves on one more time and and, and have a go, you know. Um, maybe that was the reason. Uh, I think it's very sad, personally, you know, see great fighters and, you know, great guys having to go and do that, you know. Mm. I wouldn't want to do
0: it, would you? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> now leave me out there. I'd rather stay on the other side. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, on. Right. We've got some, um, just a few questions I pulled off Twitter yesterday, just from, from some fans. You happy to, to do a little quick? Yeah, fight of is, yeah. yeah, Right. Okay. So, Sonny Edwards is actually uh, a professional uh, undefeated fighter. He yeah. says, "What's your best rep and sparring story?"
1: Oh, uh, me and uh, Johnny Macalinda, Macalinda. Was it Macalinda? Johnny Macalinda, the Northern Irish kid. Uh, came to Repton, middleweight. Good fighter, John. We were mates, really good mates. And he was a terrific fighter, you know. But he just suited my style. When we used to spar, he suited me because he used to come in head first. And I used to ping him off. Ping, ping, ping all the time, right, John? And this guy was an animal, believe me, right? And... Um, all of a sudden, he got the um, and he, he's, a, he's attacked me in the ring, which is unheard of in boxing, right? <laughs> and we've had a tear-up in the ring. And Tony Burns gave us both a smack. We both got a smack. And then we got out of the ring, and we started again. We had another tear-up, right? And then it was all calmed down. And uh cut to about a week later. We're both fighting at York Hall. We're both on the bill at York Hall. And we're sitting there. We've both been gloved up. He's fighting on the fight after me. And we're sitting there. We happen to be sitting next to one another, and he turned to me. and He, 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 reached, he went, "Are we still friends, Raymond?" <laughs> I went, "Yes, John." And he gave me a kiss, <laughs> and that was it. But oh. we used to have uh, we used to have some great sparring sessions. Actually, all the boys we box I, I was lucky enough to box with some really, really talented boxers there. You know, yeah. that's how you learn. I guess that's how you learn what you're doing. You know.
0: Well, I'll, I'll ask these two questions together so you can roll them into one. So, uh, Pete asks, how did you get your part in Scum? And Rick asks, do you still keep in touch with 4721 Archer? No. Oh, yeah,
1: well, uh, and I got, I, got, I, got, I got expelled from uh, college, and I went along with all the boys that were going up for the film Scum, just to have a drink with them after and say goodbye. And uh, I was sitting there talking to the receptionist, the young girl, and uh, she's a lovely girl, or not? good-looking girl. And uh, she said, do you want to go in and meet the director? And I said, nah, you no, know, it's not for me, this game." And she said, i go in and meet him. He's lovely. His name's Alan Clark. And uh, to cut a long story short, I went in, last one in, and we had a laugh. We just started talking. It was actually written for a Scottish kid, you know, the part. And we, we had a laugh and all that. He said, can you do a Scottish accent? And I went, no. And we we were talking, and because I was the last one out, he he seen me out the door, and uh, I got the part because of the way I walked down the corridor. I walked like a fighter, you know, shoulders rolling and all that. I was a young kid, a bit flesh I suppose, and and I got the part. And Archer, there's two different archers. One of them's David, uh, a few uh, f- a few f- f- and uh, the other one is um, was Mickey Ford in the film. So they that was two different. Guys played the parts. Uh, Mickey Ford's a writer now, and David has gone on to do. In fact, I spoke to David on uh, on, a, on 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 um, on Zoom. or well, not that we've kept in touch, but we did. We happened to have a meeting, and uh, David was on it. I, I spoke to him uh, roughly about three or four months ago when I was out in Sicily. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so, moving on from there, Gary says. Do you think West Ham will get into Europe? Well, uh, that's a good question. It's a
1: crazy season, isn't it? Yeah. Last last night I watched us play Liverpool, and it weren't it weren't for the want of trying, they had a go last night, but they got excited. They right from the kickoff. They were all pumped up, and they couldn't pass the ball. I just needed to take a deep breath and sit back a little bit. And we played a great side last night. We played Liverpool. We were on fire last night. But we wasn't in the game last night. Now, I'm I'm not going to knock them for that because they've been fantastic all season, I think. Um, We just got done by the better side last night. And I think, not nerves, but it was like, you know, like a little kid who's got something, he's so excited and... He was overdoing everything. Trying too hard, in a way. Uh, we got done last so time. We got well done and all. So, but it, nothing's impossible this season. Yeah, I'd like to think we can get into Europe. Let's go. Not that we can go. We can't go
0: anywhere. <laughs> no. No, we can sit home and watch it with a crowd noise. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Johnny asks, how many takes did you do for the ball in the sock scene in Scum?
1: Oh, I think about three times. Um, yeah, we worked it out. Um, in fact, it was my, my idea. It was like a thing where someone laid on the floor. As I get the balls and put them in the sock on the on thing, because it's all in one shot. There's no cuts, right? And Phil da- Daniels is standing in the corner. And as I come through the door, I wrap the sock up and I put it down his side. But you, the camera's up here. And someone's laying on the floor and then we change the sock over. So in one take, it looks like i 'll wrapped you up and whacked him around the head with the ball balls which, in your imagination, tells you that he's just been clumped, you know? So it was, yeah. And we done that about three times. Phil Daniels loved it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hey, did you ever worry that you created a new weapon there at that time? Because it weren't a thing until people saw it in Scum. I'd like to help out whenever I can. (laughs) No, I think
1: that's been done before. Oh, it's funny, it's funny, because the Americans made a film with Sean Penn just after we made Scum. And it was called Bad Boys, I think. And it was set in in an institution in America. And in a scene, Sean Sean gets um, a pillowcase and puts loads of Coca-Cola cans in it. And he whacks the geezer with that. They've always got to do something bigger, haven't they? Right. (laughs) We'll we'll
0: blame him then. We'll blame Sean Penn for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He was after. He came after, though. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Paul Griffith says... Who was the most talented fighter you saw but didn't make it into the big time, in your opinion? Well, um, Billy Taylor at the Repton
1: was talent. Um, He he was a talented fighter in the big time who didn't make it. Well, do you know what? There's lots of fighters who who have got that talent but maybe not got that hunger. Maybe don't need to be a fighter. I think when I was a kid, people were fighters. I'm not sure it was the same today. Because it's the only thing they can, not the only thing they can do, but it's a way out, you know. I don't I, I don't know whether there's many people that actually sit down and say, oh, "I just want to, you know, I want to be a boxer because I love it. I want to be a pro fighter because I love it." It's an ends to a means, you know. I, I might be wrong there. It's just my opinion, but um, you know, when you look at old fighters like Carlos Palomino, who actually um, I believe came from a very wealthy family and went on to become a world champion. I mean, that's one hell of a fighter, because he wasn't hungry, you know? But what, what a fighter. If he's not hungry, and he wins the world title, I mean, that's that's quite a feat, isn't it, in a way, you know?
0: Okay, um, so we've got two guys asked the same question here, Anthony Hayes and uh, Stephen Smith. What was it like working on Orfidus and Pet? Oh, with the, with the
1: Jody Boys, it was good, yeah. Um... Uh, I've got a story about that. I was, I was doing room in a Sherwood at the time, down in Bristol. And I got a phone call. Um, I'd already been working on that with his own pet. I was doing kind of two jobs at once, you know. And they said, Ray, we want you out in, um, I think it was Dusseldorf, um, uh, next Monday. Uh, on a certain date, they gave me a date. I said, fine. And they said, we'll book your flight. I said, no, don't worry. I'm in Bristol. I'll book the flight. I'll get on it. I'll be there. I've never been late for work in my life, right? Never, right? So, anyway, I booked the flight. I turn up on a set of um, Elvis Ain't Pet, and everyone's standing there looking at me. Jimmy now, all that mob like that. Hey, 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 hey yeah. <laughs> all right, boys, how hey, uh... I went, what's the matter? They went, you're late. I said, no, I'm not. Look, here, up. seven o'clock in the morning, bang on time. They went, no, you're a day late. <laughs> I got the payroll. <laughs> it was all right. We all laughed. They covered it and we were right. But that was an enjoyable job. Good bunch of boys they were.
0: So Arnie Dawson asks Do you remember any good stories about Graham Moulton, an old Repton trainer who's now my trainer?
1: Oh, Graham Moulton was uh, uh, listen, he was the Olympic captain, he was a club captain. Uh, I know he's I know he's. A, he's, he's. a trainer now, Graham. Um, in fact, we, we all meet up at least once a year, all the old reps and boys. You know, we used to go to uh, Mickey Quinn's pub in the city and you know, we'd have a meet and have an afternoon and an evening. It still goes on. You know, we still meet uh, with Graham. Funny stories. No, I'll tell you why. Because he was, um, Graham was older than me. He was in, when I was a junior, he was a senior. Um, I think probably the funniest story was, no, I can't tell that story. I can't. <laughs> no. You no, I don't. No. There's, <laughs> no, there's no funny stories. Uh, just just mention the Graham
0: Canterbury. You know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, Arnie, if you're watching, mention Canterbury. Uh, yep. Lee Foley says, who would you want to play you in a film about your life story? Oh, Brad Pitt. Brad yeah. Pitt, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's well, I think, good,
1: I think he's. I think he's good-looking enough
0: to play me, so I think that's fine. Okay. Wise choice. Yeah. So yeah, another former fighter here, Danny Chain. He asks why you never turned professional, especially after your stellar amateur career that you had. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough, and uh, and going
1: back to what I was saying earlier on, I I, I didn't need to be, I guess. Um, I didn't have that kind of killer instinct, I, you know, that, that thing of going through, putting it through. And I, I wasn't physically right to be a fighter, I don't think. And I, I didn't have the mentality for it. Um, I loved it. I loved it while I was doing it. But I was basically, I was a novice, really, you know. And uh, when you box for a you, you get the chance to box for England, you know. It's just one of those things. Um, I, was, I was all right. I was, I was a good boxer. And it, it stood me in really good stead for the rest of my life. You know, not physically, but mentally in, in everything else I'd done. But I wasn't good enough to be a boxer. I would never have been, I I'd probably I, I probably would never have been uh, British champion. I wouldn't have got that far, you know. I'd have been, I'd have been lucky to be Southern Area to, to champion. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. But I, I loved every moment of it while I was doing it, you know.
0: What was your actual uh, amateur record, Ray? Do you remember? Yeah, eighty-eight fights, eighty wins. Being a bit harsh on yourself, then, are not you? No, not really, because you're at a certain
1: level when you you box them, you know. And at the reps, and they look after you, you know. You, you don't they don't just throw you in with anyone, you know. You, you you progress through the ranks, you know. And I remember my first senior fight. I, I turned senior, and it was down. Uh, down on the way to Brighton, I think we were, on a Crawley, something like that, somewhere like that. And a Minters old uh, stomping ground, you know. And I, I remember getting into the ring. And what I was saying earlier on, when when you're a young fellow in them days, you know, you look like you was about 12. You know, it's not like a day where kids have got tattoos and, you know, growth and all that. I got in the ring and this, I looked across the ring and I guarantee you, as a boxer, when you get in the ring, you look across the ring at the other fighter, you know whether you can beat him or not. The thing of being a great fighter and a good fighter is if you think you can't beat him, you've got to find something in you to go and beat him. You know, and that, that's that's what makes a really good fighter. I looked across the ring and uh, this guy's had airy airy legs. <laughs> that's the first thing I know. He looked like a tarantula, right? And he had tattoos and everything. He was a man. I was still a little boy, you know. I thought, Jesus Christ, he's a lump, you know. Anyway, I won the fight. Anyway, you know, first round I didn't have a clue. I lost the first round, won the next two. Because when I come back to the corner, the trainer livened me up, give me a dick. Th- I was more terrified about going back to the corner than what I was going to the ring, because the trainer was going to beat me up. So I went, I went and won the fight. But it's that kind of um, that kind of mentality that makes a make, makes a fighter. But you know, um, that was my first senior fight, and then I won 13 on the trot. You know, and which I thought, great, especially being in that club like and you've got all these champions on the wall, you know, from years gone by. And, uh, you know, I won the yearly cup, you know, for because of my record and all that kind of stuff. But when I stayed there was, you know, you, you looked around the room and you saw people like uh, but Johnny Whitehorn, you know, it was big Ray Tabby who boxed in the ABA finals and Billy Taylor, who's absolute class, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny White on us, I've said, uh, uh, Jimmy Flynn, you know, Marky Newman. These were these were fighters. Ground Mountain, these were fighters representing their country. You know, boxed in the Olympics. Morris Hope went on to be a world champion, you know. John H. Tracy went on to be a world champion. So, you know, you're in the company
0: of the gods in a way, you know. Okay, well, that, uh, yeah, that... Wraps up those questions there from uh, some some of your fans, Ray. So I appreciate you doing Bless that. You. But um, wait, you've just launched um, a new agency, I understand. Yeah, we're co-founders, Me and Gary Petit. I don't know. You know Gary? Do you? You no, know, I don't believe I do. Nah. he's he's in
1: he's in the city. Works in the city. Runs a a, a place in the city there. So, and we, we were we were watching. Uh, I used to go and watch his boy play. He was uh, a West Ham youth. And then he got let go from West Ham Youth. And uh, it's funny, you know, you, you, as a kid, you spend your life at a club. Sometimes from the age of, uh, you know, eight or nine years of age, and he gets let go. And uh, we have a lot of other kids there that got let go, because nine times out of ten, they only keep two on. And these kids get let go, and they're just gone, you know. Uh, and that's their life. And he went on to Millwall. He was lucky that his father had some connections, and they found... Place from Millwall, he went on there. The same thing happened there. He's at Luton now, and he's you know. And you look at all these kids, and you think they're oh, all good players. These have got to be good players to be at this club level. You know, you can't do everything for everyone. I mean, if you're main city, maybe you can do something for these kids, but a club like Chelton, a little club like or South Internet, they haven't got the facility to do that. You know, so kids get their hearts broken. I mean, these kids out there who are actually taking their own lives over it because they've got nothing else to do. I was talking to Paul Lynch um, last week and he's got a fabulous story that he might tell you one day. Yeah, I'll leave him to tell that story. But about, you know, him and his mates when they came from Dagman to play at West Ham for, for trials and that, you know. Um, so we, we looked at it and we were sitting down and Gary said to me, you know, there's something could be done here. And, and we talked about it. And, you know, to do for these kids that are let go, because they have talent, you know, and it maybe if they can't, we can't, you can't get them placed in football. You can give them something else because there's a lot of these kids, our next generation, that are just going through the wayside, you know, and uh, and they end up one way or another. And we just felt there's something to be done here, and so we've set up this a company in Integral Sports Management, where it's a sports agency. It is because it's got to run as a business as well. But there's a side of it that we do, and we're, we're interested in, where we take these kids, you know, if, if they want to be taken. We've got about 10, 12 kids at the moment, and we're placing them, you know, and we're finding something for them. Hopefully, we will get some more, but we don't want to run before we can walk, you know, it's, we want to keep it as boutique as we possibly can, because you want to concentrate on them, you know what I mean? It's not the, the the business side of it's something else. We we let that get on, you know, because we have people working for us. Start who need to be paid. But I think the the main thing for me and Gary is to actually develop this talent. These these young kids who are going to be lost otherwise. You know.
0: You're right because uh, there are a lot of people that go through the system that. Well, there are ones that make it, but there's more so <laughs> that don't make it. So what, absolutely, so absolutely. What you're saying makes complete sense.
1: Yeah, and I'm, you listen, it's something to be done with the clubs here as well. I think you know, as I said earlier on, clubs like Man City, Man United, Liverpool's of the of you know the Premiership clubs. Not all of them, but a lot of the wealthy Premiership clubs probably do as much as they possibly can. I'm not sure on that, but there's the when you get down to the levels of the Cheltons, and that who do have youth policies, you know, big youth policies, and I'm not just naming Charlton, there's a lot of Norwiches, and Norwich have a great youth policy, you know, but they might not have the facility, the the money to pay for a facility to look after these kids, so hopefully we can work hand in hand with these clubs as well. We're not blaming anyone, it's just something needs to change,
0: you know? What's it called, Ray? What's your agency called? Integral Sports Management. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ray, um, much appreciate your time uh, on this Monday, which started off morning, is now afternoon. Have you yep. got anything else you'd like to to add before we finish, Ray? No, I just want you all to take care of yourself. And hopefully we get through this.
1: You know, quicker the better. It's like Groundhog Day, here, yeah? So the quicker we can get back to looking at a bit of sport and going out and about and trying to have a normal life again, the, the better for me, you know? And then listen... All the best with the new Bubba.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah. Drew very, very soon. I appreciate that. Ray, I'm
1: sure I'll see the event on um,
0: Instagram at some point. You shall, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Ray, there was one actual question that I was curious about as well. Your yeah. name, people are asking, right? A few people yeah. asked this question. Ray Winston or Ray Winstone? Stone. E on the end. So you do pronounce it Ray Winstone. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm
1: as guilty as anyone else because I get lazy at times and it's, it comes out as Winston, but it's Winstone,
0: yeah. It's so the end. Winston. okay. Because yeah. a lot of people ask me that. I was thinking it's actually a good question because I, <laughs> I sometimes say you like, Ray, Winston, that's...
1: Yeah. Well, that's because that's we're from the East End, kid. We get lazy, you see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ray, absolute gentleman. Thank you very much for your time and, um, yeah, keep yourself safe and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Okay, you take care of yourself. God bless you all. All Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the IFL TV podcast sponsored by William Hill in association with Lonsdale MTK Global. Sports Social Podcast Network that's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.